Good morning, everyone. For those who haven't met me, my name is Michael, and I've been attending this lovely church for almost four months now. Bam. I am originally from Adelaide, but I'm up here for a year doing a gap year program with an organization called Teen Missions, um, with a number of fantastic young people, including Emma, who most of you would know. And I'm really excited to be able to unpack God's word with you today. And I'm hoping that you're equally looking forward to reflecting on and applying the words of Jesus with me. Uh, But before we get too far, I'd love to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time and this space. Thank you for your presence and thank you for your word that you teach us and you guide us in the way that we live our lives. I pray that you would fill this place with your presence and your spirit. You would guide the words that I speak, that they might be your words, and that you would soften the hearts of everyone here, that we might be open to what you have to say for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, I want to start with thinking about choices. Every day, we're faced with decisions that we have to make. It's a part of life. Some of these choices are really important, And some of these choices are less important. Where are you going to live? What shirt do you want to wear today? Are you going to get married? And if so, to who? Or what would you like on your toast this morning? I want to stress today, as Jesus sets before us some choices, that these choices are of the utmost importance. In fact, importance of life and death. So far in the Sermon on the Mount... Jesus has been guiding us to look deep within ourselves. Moving past outward appearances and a that'll do approach to life and faith, Jesus guides us to see our character and our integrity, to see how our motives guide what we do and illustrate where our priorities and values are placed. Last week, Marty guided us through Jesus' wisdom in the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 7. He emphasized the need for forgiveness and grace between believers, recognizing that each of us will continue to battle sin as long as we live on this earth, but still allowing room for discipline and rebuke as it lines up with love and care, working toward reconciliation and the other person's good. He guided us as well in how to overcome evil through meaningful prayer and intercession, knowing that anyone who asks receives, They who seek, find, and to them who knock, the door will be opened. And he finished with the golden rule, to in everything treat others as you would want them to treat you. And today we're looking at the next eight verses in Matthew chapter 7. If you have your Bible with you, I'd encourage you to follow along, or there are some at the back if you need. There's also a rundown on the back of the bulletins if you grab one coming in. I want to start with a reasonably well-known passage in verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Now what is Jesus saying here? We need to be careful to see that this verse is not referring to our final destination. The small gate is not the entrance to heaven, and the broad gate is not the entrance to hell. 
but they do mark the paths that lead to those destinations. Let's start by thinking about what this wide road is that leads to destruction. In our fallen world, this is the path that all begin to walk on. The path is wide and spacious. It's easy to walk on it, and anyone can. It's inclusive to all religions, ideologies, and lifestyles. It's the popular path. But it is the path that leads to destruction. It's the path that we choose to do our will over God's will. Where we choose to eat from the tree even though we know that it leads to death. And when we choose our will over what God knows is best, that is sin. It's not just a path that ends in a destruction, but it's a path that is paved with destruction. Families, friendships, identities, entire lives are destroyed by choosing to walk this deadly path. And the narrow path is comparatively trickier to walk. And it's difficult to find. Some people are born, live and die without ever having the chance to hear about this path. It's not a popular path to walk. As creatures of comfort who like the path of least resistance, people are naturally much more inclined to walk the wide road. The narrow path is difficult, but it's a path of life. The narrow way is the way of life because it is good for us. God is good. His way is never going to be the bad way. It's never going to be worse for us than the alternatives. It's never going to be the dud route that we miss out. And Jesus has been describing to the crowds some of what this looks like in the previous chapters of Matthew. He's told them to be salt and light, to live without hatred or lust, to love even those who don't love us, to live for God's glory, not earthly praise. The heavenly things, not temporary worldly things. To help, this, uh, to help unpack this a little more, I'd love to read from Psalm 1 for you. The psalmist writes, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. Whatever he does prospers, but not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. And therefore the wicked will not stand with the righteous, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous, those who do right, who delight in the law of the Lord, who study it and, most importantly, live by it. In fact, the psalmist says that these people are blessed. Why? Because they're striving to live according to God's will. And because of his infinite wisdom and goodness, God's will is always what's best for us. But the way of the wicked... Those who choose to do what they want, what's easy and comfortable at the time, that way leads to destruction. While we can feel powerful and in control as humans, we are but chaff. The wind blows away. We desperately need Isaiah's reminder 
that while the, uh, the grass withers and the flowers fade, the word of the Lord endures forever. So rather than living for fading and temporary pleasures here on earth, let us strive for meaningful satisfaction as we live according to the will and word of an everlasting God. Looking back at Jesus' words in the passage again, there's a key point I think we often forget. The narrow road is narrow. It's not easy to walk down. It's not just something that you randomly happen upon. It's something you can only walk with serious intentionality. I find the context of this scripture in Luke 13 really valuable. From verse 22. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. And someone asked him, Lord, are only a few going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow gate. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. That's a big question to ask Jesus. Are only a few going to be saved? And he doesn't explicitly answer the question. But he responds by exhorting the person to make every effort to enter by the narrow door. Not just to try a little bit, do what seems reasonable without having to cost them too much, but to make every effort. Because many will try and yet will not be able to. But as I spur you on, I want you to hold fast to a little of what Jesus promises in the Gospel of John. He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. Only through him can we be saved. Without him, there is no gate. We must remember that by our own strength, we can never walk the path of life. We cannot save ourselves by just walking as close to the road as best as we can. The only way to be saved is by the free grace of Jesus Christ. And it's in response to this radical grace that we must then choose to follow Jesus as empowered by the gift of his Holy Spirit working in us. Salvation is free. It does not cost us anything. It does not depend in any way on who we are or what we have done in the past. It depends only on Christ. But while salvation is free, it is not cheap. It came at a great price. And to be a disciple, to meaningfully follow Jesus, that too is costly. Look at what Jesus says about following him in Luke 14. He says that our love for him should be so extreme, it makes the love for even our family look like hatred in comparison. That anyone who does not carry their cross and follow him cannot be his disciple. From verse 28, he then goes on to outline two scenarios. A builder constructing a tower and a king going to war. He proposes, will the builder not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough to build the tower? Will the king, when he sees his army is undeniably smaller than his opponent's, not send delegates in advance to ask for peace? The point being that as we choose to follow Jesus and be his disciple, we must count 
the cost. And as Jesus says in verse 33, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Walking the narrow road requires radically reshaping the way that we live our lives. There's the intentional decision to enter through the narrow gate, and that is significant, but there are everyday decisions as well, where we have to decide if we will walk the narrow road or not. When we come to an obstacle on the narrow road, we have a choice. Do we remain on the road and clamber over this obstacle? Or do we take the easy route and just step off the narrow road and walk around it? Or maybe the narrow road seems okay, but you see something tempting just out of reach. Maybe a seemingly ripe fruit tree. And so you step off the narrow road to chase after what seems more appealing at the time. I know in my life and what I've seen in other Christians, it's easy to say, Oh, yeah, I've entered through the narrow gate. But to forget the narrow path that follows. To think that rocking up to church or Bible study sporadically is the same as intentionally walking down the narrow path in everything that we do. Or sometimes I look at some of my friends who haven't made that choice to enter through the narrow door yet, often because they are consumed by the fleeting pleasures of the broad path. I've seen the cogs turn in people's minds as they keep telling themselves that it's okay. They have plenty of time. They can figure out religion later on. Now is the time to enjoy life. Do what's fun and what's comfortable and what's good for them. Like the Bible reminds us, and things like COVID remind us, life is fleeting. Now years are so few. Why would we ever waste them walking a broad road of destruction? It's a choice to decide to walk the narrow road. It doesn't just happen accidentally. So as you leave today, will you choose to enter through the narrow gate and walk the narrow road? Even when the broad road seems appetizing or easy or approachable. I don't want to scare you, but I want to make the truth clear. If you have not intentionally decided to walk the narrow road of life, you will by default still be walking the broad road to destruction. And while that road has fleeting pleasures, it paves a path of destruction with every step closer to damnation. Having seen the high stakes of walking along the wrong path, let's look at the next six verses where Jesus shows us that walking the right path means listening to the right voices. This is Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 20. Jesus says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. And by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, at first glance, you might be saying, hey, wait, that sounds like judgment. And didn't Jesus just say at the start of chapter 7, we shouldn't judge? 
What's going on here? But remember, Jesus didn't say that we could never judge. He just said that in the same way we judge others, we too will be judged. That we can't live hypocritical, self-righteous lives looking down on others while ignoring the sin in our own lives. But we do have the responsibility to care for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we do have the responsibility to be aware of what we are consuming. James writes, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that those who teach will be judged more strictly. Teachers are held to a high standard because of their greater responsibility. The words they speak are important. These teachings can be the difference between life and death. But in the passage today, what Jesus focuses on most is the fruit of these teachers. Are they seeking their own glory or God's? Are they promoting what the Bible says or what they think? All throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been emphasizing the importance of what's internal. He's focused on the heart, on character, not on external presentation. He doesn't care about the rhetoric of the preachers, how charming they are, nor necessarily even the words they are saying. Jesus calls us here to consider their character. Does the way they live line up with what they are saying? It's easy to talk about loving others, giving sacrificially, fighting sin and living humbly, but it's much harder to live in that way. And this doesn't mean that our teachers are always going to be perfect either. doesn't mean you see, feel, accidentally fall short at some point, you pack your bags and leave and never come back. We will never leave perfect. We will never live perfect this side of heaven. But Jesus calls for us to be honest and earnest as we strive toward that standard of perfection. I don't want to pretend as well that it's not hard to identify these false prophets sometimes, especially as a new Christian. I can remember a few years ago when I was starting to get more and more active in my faith. I was looking at what different preachers had to say on YouTube. And unfortunately, there's no flashing red lights that appear before a video saying, Warning! Warning! Heresy alert! False teacher incoming! There's none of that. Right? I had to try and figure that out by myself. And I'll be honest, I didn't always do a great job of it. But overall, over time, one of the biggest things I have found and continue to find helpful is trying to gauge the motivation of the speaker. Are they promoting themselves? Or are they promoting Christ and Him crucified? Do they speak in a way that focuses on us as humans and how we can get what we want in a glorified self-help kind of fashion? Or do they speak about God and His goodness and His glory? Do they shy away from difficult topics Speaking only of love and warm, fuzzy things like that? Will they boldly yet humbly proclaim the truth in love, out of genuine care for their audience and a desire for them to know more of God? It's important for each of us to be aware of what we fill our minds with and what teachings we hold to be true. We need to meaningfully, out of love, consider the character of the teachers we listen to. But as Jesus here looks for us to consider the character of these teachers, 
he also invites us to look at our own character and see if what we do matches up with what we promote. We know from earlier in this chapter and so many of his other interactions with Pharisees how heavily Jesus is against hypocrisy. But it's such a big problem even for us. Think of all the standards Jesus has set for us in the past couple chapters. The ways in which he has called us to live. These are good ways. These are ways of life, but they're not always easy to walk. And we need to be honest about the way that we walk those lives and sometimes fail to walk those lives. As I was writing this, I was thinking about the lazy rivers you get in some water parks. Some of you may be familiar. Basically, it's a continuous stream of water, sometimes in a big loop, sometimes in different paths. And people sit in their big inflatable donuts or rafts or whatever, and they float. It's relaxing. You sit back and you let the currents take you wherever they take you. No stress. No decisions. The destination isn't important. It's about relaxing along the way and enjoying the ride. And these lazy rivers can be fun and relaxing. I will admit, they have their place. But sometimes, I think, that's the way that, as Christians, we get caught up in living our lives. We like to kick back, relax, and see where the currents take us. But the problem is, the currents of life rarely align with the will of God. Are you willing to swim against those currents? Will you choose what is easy or what is right? To listen to what is comfortable or what is true? To live for what is temporary or what is eternal? To walk the broad road or the narrow road? I love to start wrapping up by reflecting on Proverbs 4 where Solomon is talking about the importance of wisdom. He says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything that you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity and keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. He speaks of the importance of wisdom as life for those who find it. And looks at character and says, Above all else, guard your heart. For everything else that you do flows from it. He instructs them to fix their gaze directly before them. To carefully consider the paths of their feet. And take only ways that are firm. To not turn to the right or to the left, but to keep their foot from evil. He leads them to walk the narrow path, the road of life. And how can we walk this road? By fixing our gaze directly before us. Not on the things of this world that tempt us away from God, like money, status, worry and other people's opinions. But, like Colin was talking about before, to fix our eyes on Christ as we run the race set out before us. Remembering that it's only by His grace that we can walk at all. And it's only through the empowering work of the Holy Spirit that we will ever walk this narrow path. 
I encourage you to think about what this week might look like for you and the kind of decisions that you'll have to make. Maybe you're at the point where you're still trying to decide if you want to arrow into through the narrow gate or not. Or you've thought in the past that you have entered through that gate, but now you're not so sure. You're seeking for something more in life, but you're a bit lost. Well, I want to encourage you that the answers and the meaning and the purpose and the life is found in Christ and in Christ alone. So take the time to count the costs and to enter through the narrow gate. Or maybe you're somebody who's recently decided that, yes, the narrow gate was for you. Or maybe you've been walking the narrow road for more years than I've been alive. But I don't think that means you can just sit back and relax. Being a disciple isn't just about one big decision to follow Jesus. It's about waking up every day and deciding to follow Jesus. Because every day you will be met with new choices and decisions. Will you spend time with God in the morning? Maybe praying to Him while reading His Word? Or will you sleep through your alarm? Or get too distracted scrolling through social media or reading the news? When that annoying co-worker or friend, the all-know-the one, keeps pestering you, or something happens that really tries your patience, how will you respond? Will you choose to go with the flow, stick with what's easy, and let your emotions unload in anger and bitterness? Or will you actively choose to love them regardless? Will you step into all the noise and opinions of the world? Will you choose to listen to the voices that say what you want to hear? Or will you listen to the voices that speak what you know to be true? Maybe take a moment to look back over the last couple of days or weeks and consider if you have been walking the narrow road. Now seriously, take a second now and be really honest with yourself. Have you meaningfully sought God's will in the way that you've lived? Have you invited him into every moment of your life? Listening to his Holy Spirit and letting that be the voice that guides you. Have you lived to glorify God and to love others? Or have you lived for what's comfortable and easy for you? Consider the challenges set out by Christ, by Christ and the choice between the narrow and the broad road, between true and false teachers. And ask yourself today, as you go out, will you choose to live in comfort and death or in truth and life? Regardless of how many times you may stumble and have to pick yourself back up along the way, I pray that each of you would leave this building seeking life. And may God graciously equip you with every step you take. Amen.